This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. For those seeking genuine transformation, SoundsTrue.com is your trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. Many voices, one journey. SoundsTrue.com. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today I speak with Carolyn Mace. Carolyn is a medical intuitive who has the ability to sense and diagnose illness. Through her work with Harvard-trained neurologist Dr. Norm Sheely, she has performed thousands of intuitive readings with a 93% accuracy rating in correctly diagnosing a variety of illnesses. She's the author of five New York Times bestsellers, as well as the Sounds True audio learning programs, Energy Anatomy and Sacred Contracts. In addition, she'll be hosting an 11-part online course along with Dr. Norm Sheely, which starts on March 16th at www.soundstrue.com, an 11-part online course on medical intuition. I spoke with Carolyn about her own abilities as a medical intuitive and how she cultivated these abilities over many years the process of refining our senses into a highly developed intuitive capacity and the importance of understanding the chakras as the basis for the language of energy medicine. Here's my conversation with Carolyn Mace. So to begin with, your own experience as a medical intuitive, how did this open up for you, become apparent for you that you had a talent for medical intuition? Tell us the history. <laughs> well, it goes back. You know, I, I think um, it's, that's a, a, like asking an artist, when did you first realize you were an artist? I think it was such a natural, organic dynamic for me. Um, I was um, very attuned to the, I was wired for it, Tammy. I was born wired for it. And uh, what happened was um, probably I, I really do credit meeting Norm Sheely with um, kind of stepping into my medical intuitive skin, so to speak. Because prior to that, I I could sense when somebody wasn't well, or or I could um, ID that kind of dynamic. But it's it's that I didn't really pay attention to it. I didn't um, harness it at all. It was not a big deal to me because it was something that was second nature to me all my life in the same way that someone was always good at another kind of uh, unusual skill. But then when I met Norm uh, and we started to work together, which was in 1984, um, and he he uh, lives near Springfield, Missouri. He had a clinic in Springfield, and I was at the time living in Walpole, New Hampshire. And he said, "You know, how are we going to work together?" And we came up with um, the uh, procedure of uh, the protocol of his calling me when he had a patient in his office. He uh, had permission from the patient. And he would phone while the patient was in the office. As a rule, if not, he secured the permission from the patient and called on that person's behalf. And he would give me the name and age of the patient, not a birth date, because I don't do astrology, just the name and age. And those two coordinates uh, seemed to lock in 
um, an ID, kind of a my GPS, so to speak. And from that, I was able to start out my early days of being able to pick up um, impressions. And what's that like? That is not unlike if I, the way I would describe it to somebody is telling them to imagine what their living room or their bedroom look like and, and looks like, and you instantly get images of those rooms. And if, and then I would tell them, imagine those same images just uh, transferred to my um, mind. But the difference is, I don't have any connection to the sentimentality of any of the objects in the room or to your home. I simply get the impressions of what those objects are like, and I'm able to to um, sense them. It's not we, we are dealing with um, energetic impressions, and so you cannot transfer the language of the five senses to energetic senses. They're not the same thing. So to approach this logically and say, well, can you actually see? You're not talking about your eyes. You're talking about energetic sensing any more than you can describe the realm of ultraviolet colors in the same way you would describe primary colors. They're not the same thing, but they exist. And so we're dealing with um, energetic data, and it's just as real. It just You have to learn to read it or sense it in a very different way. And that's what I became very adept at because of my work with Norm Shealy. Now, you said that you were born wired for it. It's like yeah. asking an artist, you know, when did you start creating art? The artist would always have a propensity to see life as an artist. So do you believe that medical intuition is something that people are born with or something that anyone can develop who wants to? I absolutely believe every single person is, every human being is wired with um, survival intuition, which is a, a, an animal instinct. Beyond that, I think that um, we inherently are drawn to advance that instinct to a more refined level of uh, inner guidance. And, you know, the gut instinct is simply a survival mechanism. It's that level of instinct that alerts us to whether a bridge is safe should we buy this car it's just a survival instinct should we trust this person you walk down the street and you you feel your hackles go up because you think i, I don't feel safe here um you don't have to be a highly advanced soul to know that you're in trouble uh you just you just sense it but and then think of all the times that you don't even realize your intuition has kicked in and redirected you, and you don't even know it. I mean, it, it operates constantly. Don't credit yourself with being that bright. I mean, of all the many times that you've changed your mind and don't even know why you've changed your mind, it has the result of this type of survival intuition um, eclipsing your, your so-called reasoning mind and, and making you think, now, you know what, I'm going to take a different route home. You don't have to know why you did that. It's just that the survival intuition took over. Then you advance to a level where you start asking more sophisticated questions, questions like, you know, I wonder, I wonder uh, really what makes this universe tick. And you start positioning yourself 
to um, embrace more sophisticated answers. And by that, I don't mean that the answers are so much more intellectually complex, but rather that they demand of you a more responsible outcome should you find out the answer. So that if you asked a question like, I wonder if there's some higher force in charge. If in fact you discover that there is, by virtue of that discovery, your own response in terms of your behavior has to change. So by upgrading your consciousness, this is not just an intellectual pursuit. This type of pursuit demands that your own behavior in relationship to life and to other people advance in terms of how you treat others. And that begins to open up a different passageway of self-inquiry, self-knowledge. That advances a different level of inner sensory, inner inquiry, and an inner sense of what our ethics, what is, what is an interior sense of morality, and what is right and wrong at a much more sophisticated level. Your sense of guidance, your sense of where you belong and why you were given the experience of life. Your questions begin to change. And if that engages a very different level of spirituality. And still here, that word spirituality remains in a kind of neutral place because you haven't yet decided whether or not you're going to take that word and shift it from being just a practice of organic vegetables and yoga to one of a direct of setting your sights on a direct path of inner illumination because there is a difference between deciding that your spirituality is a bunch of books you throw in your head, a bunch of vegetables you throw down your throat, and closing your eyes and deep breathing, versus setting your eyes on a path of inner illumination in which you decide to take on yourself and take on yourself for the specific goal of moving toward divinity and your own relationship with an inner source named God, or whatever you want to call it. And in that course, what you say is, I'm on a mystical route. And what I want is a relationship, an intimate relationship with the nature of truth, with the nature of truth. I want my illusions taken away from me. And what would that look like? What would that look like? Then you begin a route that says, you know, whatever is not truth, I want it yanked out of me. I need to yank it out of me. I'll do this in a cooperative venture. That's when the real rigor begins. That's when you have to start going inside of yourself. And you have to do this the beginning of really intense, rigorous, rigorous excavation that's, that begins with looking at what illusions you nurture in yourself that keep you from being a loving person, 
that cause you to be hostile toward other people and the excuses you give yourself that you nurture in yourself that you have to identify this is an illusion there's no truth to it but i water that plant all the time Teresa of avila would call it a reptile you have to own that you do this now you're getting into some serious work this is serious work when you get to this level your senses begin to emerge with a little more delicacy they become a little more astute because you're, 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 dust, you're, you're discovering that, in fact, you have some really highly refined senses in you, some really highly refined senses. And they'll come to the surface, but they come to the surface because you're able to discern the difference now between your own deep, illusionary self and what is a clear, clear hit from clear grace. Now that makes sense to me, Carolyn, in terms of the development of what we might just call general intuition or mystical intuition. Mm -hmm. As a human evolves spiritually and they become more and more refined. I get that. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. it seems like medical intuition is a a specialty within that. Well, you know, I I think that it's like asking, you know, can anyone be an artist, I, I think with medical intuition, I became very good at it because I had nothing else to do. To, be, to give you a perfectly dull answer to something that's probably the truth. I was captive in New Hampshire. I met a, a fabulous physician who became one of my best and dearest life friends. Um, we were able to do five to to ten readings, eight readings a day for years. Wow. How many people would put in that kind of time? I had nothing else to do. I was in publishing, but I had a, a totally dull and boring life. There were no distractions for me up in the mountains of New Hampshire. I think that if I had been married with children and, and a husband and family and, and other responsibilities, that wouldn't have happened, and I wouldn't have become as good as I did. But I somehow or other ended up in a a incredibly um, monastic life, not by choice. I, believe me, not by choice. It just happened. And I f- ended up filling it with everybody else's needs. And so it filled up. And I happened to, by default, become very good at something because I had nothing else to do. Okay, but do you believe that your intuition operates in terms of every aspect of your life, but then you developed this specialty because of all the readings that you did yeah, with Norm? Yeah, I do. Okay. I, I think I have one. Um, my background in theology, let, let me make something really clear here. I also think academically, my background was one of my greatest um, preparatory stages. Um, I I consider my scholarship to be uh, part of what made my wiring so receptive to this. I'm a very grounded scholar. So 
when I, you know, in having what I, what would be called a mystical experience or in having a great intensity on the wiring, I never once said, oh my gosh, I don't know what's happening to me. I always did. I always did. Whether it was the periods through which I cycled into epilepsy or not, I knew what was happening to me. I knew exactly what was happening to me. Carolyn, do you think there's a, a connection between uh, the epileptic experiences you've had and your gifts as an intuitive? Absolutely, I do. What, what is that connection? You know, in fact, just two weeks ago at uh, Dominican University, the uh, professor who's uh, the chairman of the Department of Theology, he is um, now uh, pursuing neurotheology the impact of mystical experiences on neurology. And, you know, um, seizures burn through. Uh, I I knew, I knew, I'm going to tell you the story. Uh, The first time I ever had a seizure was right after I left, the, the, the day that I resigned from publishing was the first day I felt any kind of electrical uh, shuffling in my brain. It was my brain. I felt it. I knew it. It was also on that day that I said, I said, well, I don't know how I'm going to support myself if I leave publishing. And I felt eight zaps in my brain, and I received a phone call for eight readings. And that same day. And the phone call, the phone, the phones never stopped ringing from that day forward for medical intuitive readings, and I, my circuits needed to be expanded. Mm-hmm. The capacity I had to do readings needed to be expanded. My wiring needed to be expanded, and I went through three, four years of very, of a tough time, and then it stopped. And then they kicked in again for a period of 10 months during the time of Teresa of Avila. And then they stopped. Um, I, I think that it's somehow or other essential to the um, expanding of circuits of grace in way that I cannot explain, but apparently it's necessary or essential to the experience. Um, I knew that um, uh, my my life was was different was going to, was different after each one. I mean, I could sense something different, and I could sense my perceptual system was shifting, which does not make it not frightening because you have no idea how long it's going to last you don't know what's going if this is going to be permanent um it's a terrifying terrifying part of your life it's terrifying um it certainly uh shifted the way i live it certainly shifted everything i mean but it also had a very defining shift on my capacity to understand healing and to recognize the profound power of grace which became tactile to me as a result 
which is not something that existed for me before. And so um, I, I have to say, going back to your question, do I think everybody can be a, med- a medical intuitive? I have to tell you, no, I do not. I think part of the reason is not everybody's wired for it. Number two, I think most people do not have the discipline. They don't have the discipline to learn what's necessary because this is what's true. What makes a clear intuitive, it's the idea that it's just, I'm just sensitive and I can do readings is nonsense. The amount of study I put in is never looked at. The amount of, of work that I did with Norm as a, as a medical intuitive, the, the, the learning of anatomy, the learning of everything that I did as, as a student with Norm is never looked at. It's just people just think that it was just like all this information that just sort of fell out of the, the clear, the, the heavens and just drops into your head. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. You have to meet your intuition halfway, if not more, in order to become a, a, a refined, laser-sharp vessel. And you have to learn to identify though that, that, uh, that the sharp language that energy speaks to you in and that the slightest, the slightest uh, shift in its frequency means something. And in order to do that, you have to know the names of illnesses. You have to know the, the anatomy of the body. You have to know these things. And it's not just this, this idea that intuition is a, uh, a genius, that, an energetic genius that eclipses the need for earth for intellectual scholarship. It does not. Um, I think that's a really important point. You think? I do. Are you kidding? I do. But I want to I wanna go ahead, and I hope this doesn't sound too crass, um, but I can imagine someone listening saying, you know, I'd like to develop these higher levels of intuition, but I certainly don't want to have seizures and develop epilepsy. Is I mean, I think that's a probably reasonable response. Is that necessary for this kind of super refined capacity? Well... You know, um, first of all, I mean, the, the experiences of seizures were temporary. Let me just say that. They were temporary. Do I think it's necessary? I can't call the shots there. I don't. I think that a lot of, that, that the vast majority of people who would say that they are intuitives have never known that kind of thing, have never known it. They've never known the extremes that I have. But then they're not as good as I am. With all, truly, in all humility, I will tell you they're not as good as I am. I'd say that's my personal experience, having worked with different intuitives as well. Okay, they're not as good. But then again, they also haven't lived a life as extreme as I have. Most people have a watered-down life that includes much more normalcy than I have. They haven't lived as isolated as I have. They haven't lived that sort of single-track life that I have, which is a far more normal life, Tammy. You know that my life is not ordinary, not by choice. It just happened to be the way it is. And so you kind of go with the life that you've been given. And because my life is sort of a perfume version of 
uh, work and intensity and spiritual intensity and scholarship intensity and writing intensity, I don't have any cologne or toilet water version of anything that I do. And maybe that's what is asked of me in this lifetime. And so that's the way it has to be in every single expression of it. Mm-hmm. including what's required to become a very good intuitive. Mm-hmm. So it's the extreme of it that I've had to experience. Mm-hmm. And the extreme of it takes a person to the edge, and that edge is a seizure. I don't think most people go to the edge of anything. I don't think they go to the edge of love. I don't think they go to the edge of of suffering I don't think they go to the edge of forgiveness I don't think they go to the edge of of their intellect I don't think they go to the edge of anything not that they don't have the opportunity to do that but that's the only place I've ever gone is the edge and that's the consequence but on the other hand on the other hand my inability to forgive caused me to bleed to death And my ability to forgive brought me into some of the most mystical experiences of my life as a consequence. Can you give us a little bit more background? No, we don't need to go in there. Okay. But what I have learned is that going to the edge is probably the nature of my life. And, And what I learned in my last book in Defy Gravity and going into the seven graces and the seven shadows and the seven graces of the soul is that I finally found a holy grail in that I actually got that we either come from love or we don't. But prior to that, I would say that that, I could, I could say that but I didn't get it, not in the mystical sense, not in the visceral sense, not in the sense of the soul. And it it became real. I I had to go through the castle first. I had to go through Teresa. I had to get into my soul. Now, these, you know, and part of my frustration is even the use of language because at some point, language becomes an obstacle and not an asset. And that's the nature of the mystical experience. But I I remember looking at a professor of mine in college who is a profound mystic. And when she would uh, go into her deep place of meditation, and I'd look at her when we were in church on Sunday, and I'd think, where are you going? Would she close her eyes and go, and I think, where are you? And I, where are you? And when I'd read where the mystics w- would describe, you know, when they'd close their eyes, you'd see a Buddhist in meditation and wherever you think, where are you? Where, where's this place that you go? And when you read Rumi and you see this ecstasy of love, is he talking about shams or is he talking about the divine? Or where, where are they when they talk about being on fire in their soul? Where is this place? Where is this place of the divine that they're speaking of? But what is true is, if you get there for one second, you know that 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 place is more real than any place we dwell here for all the years of our life. And then, for me, 
that place, I got it. I found it for one second. And you know the power of that love versus seeing the option. You know, medical intuition for me is an extraordinary skill that began my journey. It began a long journey. And I, I, um, it is a skill that I think, and I put it in the category of skill, uh, because I think that what people can learn from medical intuition is that it is a template of um, that organizes an interior map that is absolutely real. It is absolutely real. The the organization of the chakras of the energetic anatomical system of the way in which the invisible schemata of power is outlined is absolutely real. And to, to be able to think in that, that archetypal map is an asset that only when you get there do you realize what a power you have assembled in the world behind your eye is for you. You haven't got a clue till you get it. You haven't got a clue. It's kind of like being with someone who hasn't learned to read. Mm-hmm. And you say to them, wait till you get, wait till you become literate. You haven't got a clue what world opens to you once you're literate. But the person who can't read looks at you and thinks, oh, my God, do I really have to learn the alphabet? And you just, you're sitting in front of the Library of, of Congress and the, and the Smithsonian and, 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 and every single great classical book in the world, and you think, please, trust me, get these 26 letters in your head. There's just 26 of them. And let me show you how to assemble them. And a whole universe opens up. Just trust me. Just get these 26 letters in your head, and a whole universe will assemble right in front of your eyes. It will present itself, a world that you cannot even imagine. And to me, learning medical intuition is that kind of alphabet. And when you say the template, you're talking specifically in the alphabet. You're talking about the seven chakras. And- I am. I am. Because it is your corridor that is just the beginning. It's a beginning into uh, un- seeing the energy world. The world is energy, seeing yourself that way. It's a beginning to understanding yourself within a cosmic scheme that doesn't make any sense to you unless you have that map in your head. You can't access that side of yourself intellectually. You've got to have that energetic map, and you have to start responding to yourself energetically. You have to start interacting with yourself energetically. You have to start reading yourself energetically and, and feeling power leave you. You have, to start, you have to actually start sensing, I feel power leave me. What, 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 what part is leaving me and why? I can feel my power leaving from my third chakra. What's the reason? And you have to start responding and saying, I'm hemorrhaging from my third chakra. So I, I, I feel it. I can feel it. And then connect the dot. That's my self-esteem. I'm, I'm, I'm hemorrhaging out of my self-esteem. And then connect the dot. That, that's why my stomach hurts. And then connect the dot. 
And pretty soon, the whole way you define power, the whole way you see human interactions, the whole way you see the whole world you live in becomes a totally different theater of operation. It becomes a theater of power. It becomes a a theater of self-esteem. It becomes an entirely different energetic world. And then you begin to understand how medical readings are done, medical intuitive readings are done, and your own senses get heightened because you yourself are reading yourself. Now, let's say someone's beginning to open up to this capacity, but one of their questions are that they just don't know how accurate they are. How accurate Well, then you start there. You have to start with yourself. You have to start with yourself. You don't go with anyone else. You're not going to be accurate. What do you think? Accuracy is earned over. Now, you nuts! Do you know how long it takes to be accurate? Come on now. So you start with yourself. You must start with yourself. You must start with paying attention to yourself at all times and accurately hitting on yourself. Why am I doing this? Where am I losing power? What's causing this? And being honest with yourself. Ruthlessly honest. I'm losing power because I'm jealous. I'm losing power because I'm angry. What am I angry about? I'm not getting my way. This is a power play. You have got to be so, so tough with yourself. And if you can't be that tough with yourself, then don't do a reading on anyone else because you'll only do it to try and impress them. Mm -hmm. Now, in the process of observing oneself, I can imagine that we begin to know maybe what's happening, but it's harder to know why it's happening. Is it important to know why? Like, I'm losing energy from this place. Why? Do I have to ask that question? Is that the right question? Yeah. You want to know, uh, where am I losing it? Why? And what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? And, you know, and the, the thing about the why that's important to understand is that the why is rarely, rarely... Uh, logical in the ordinary sense of logic. I mean, you, you have to understand how a why works and that the only person's name that can be in either your question or your answer is your own. I'm going to repeat that. The only person's name that can be in your question or your answer is your own name. Thus, why am I losing power? It's because I am what. You are what. You cannot say, well, it's because Tammy said this to me. No, no, no. No, I'm going to do this again. You can never put someone else's name in the answer to any of the questions you ask yourself. You're the only one occupying your body. You're the only one who's responding. You're losing your power because of the way you are responding. It has nothing to do with anybody else. Mm-hmm. You learn how to answer your questions properly and accurately. And you learn to take charge and to recognize how you respond and why you respond as you do. And your first clue is to get a handle on your own private agendas, your own shadow. 
And unless you can do that, if you think you can read someone else, you're nuts. You have got to be tough with yourself and honest with yourself. And it's rough work, but here's the outcome, is you become really good if you stick at it. Or, and you become real healthy. Mm-hmm. You get a little bit of both. Okay. One of the things that I've noticed in different people that I've met over the years that have had this kind of gift of, of wiring is not that they've gone through seizure-like experiences, as was true in your case, but that they did have some very awful trauma in their early life. Maybe it was um, some form of abuse or just something really terrible happened to them when they were young, and that somehow their spontaneous capacity to uh, receive information related to that early trauma. And I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, like a near-death experience sometimes they've had, or they've had some kind of like healers oftentimes, the classic wounded healer. Yeah, so I'm just curious what you think about that, the relationship between some serious trauma, maybe an early trauma in life. Well, there's a, there is a pattern there. There's truth to that. There is a pattern of um, like the, the classic story of the wounded healer. I mean, somehow there seems to be an archetypal journey that often uh, that's, that is um, uh, common in which a person is given the very trial they will eventually help others go through. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a way of uh, perhaps seeding the elements of compassion, of of opening up a person and of also making them discover resources of the soul that uh, they would otherwise not have unlocked. So, I, you know, because I think it's, it's every one of us has had the experience of having something ferocious happen to us, something painful, something traumatic. And when you tell somebody who has no reference for what you've been through, you can tell because that person will abruptly go through it and say, oh, geez, that was terrible, and go on to the next subject. And that no one can tolerate. Nobody can tolerate that because it, it, it does, it somehow or other is so... Um, insults the depth of a person's trauma and suffering. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you tell somebody who knows what you've been through, they will pause and hold their breath with you as long as you hold your breath because they know exactly what you've been through. Mm-hmm. And that's the person you want to stand, you want next to you. That's the person. And unless that person's been given that same wound, they can't be allowed to go out and and, and call themselves a healer because they will listen to someone and they will speak from the head and they'll say, you can get through this. I'm not kidding you. Here, this is what you do. You follow these three steps and blah, 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 and they'll be one of those. Mm -hmm. And you'll listen to them and say, this person is inauthentic. There's no heart in this person. Who do they think they are talking to me this way? Because you could tell instantly when someone's on stage and, they'll, and they say, a broken heart is a shattered vessel, and uh, that's just what's true. And somebody hears someone say that, 
they know that person's speaking from a broken heart and they'll take notes. Mm-hmm. That's why it's essential. Mm-hmm. That makes good sense, Carolyn. Now, just a couple more questions about medical intuition. I, I would imagine that when you were doing a lot of readings, not so much when it was anonymous where Norm was calling you and someone was in his office, but you don't know the person. But when you did readings, when people called you up, that you had to deliver some pretty terrible information to people about their health situation. And I'm curious how you worked with that. I mean, having to tell somebody that they have, you know, a a malignant form of cancer or something like that. Well, you know, I think uh, what I relied upon was that they generally knew I mean, what I discovered through the years was that most people already knew that um, something frightening was happening in their body. So it was much more my style to uh, get them to say it. Mm-hmm. And if I thought that it was really, really bad, I would say to them, I really have to encourage you to go to a doctor and get some tests. That's what I'm thinking you should do next. Um, I had to be very cautious about the way I spoke and the way I said things. If I was talking to Norm, I could just directly say, this person is malignant, this person has Hodgkin's, this person has this, because it would then come through a physician. But because I wasn't a physician, I couldn't speak in physician-ease. Um, but if I was doing a medical intuitive reading directly with somebody, I was very cautious about the way I spoke to them. And it was more my style to encourage them to go for further tests. Uh, I never ever, and this is something that, that probably needs to be said as a kind of a sidebar, but I never discussed uh, medication. Um, I never told, advised a person on what to take or what not to take, uh, precisely because um, uh, I'm not a doctor. But I also don't think it's the province of a medical intuitive to do that. Um, I just don't think it's wise. I think that there's a place where medical intuition is a support system to allopathic medicine, not a substitute. And that has always been my philosophy, and that needs to be said. Um, medical intuitives should work with a physician, not independent of one. And um, that's probably the reason why I never got in trouble as a medical intuitive for so many years, plus the fact that that I was so wise in the way I handled the skill. When I did see something, I directed someone immediately to a physician. Because, the, the, you know, it was, I, I was never one to say, oh, I see your energy is off and that's all that's wrong with you. If I thought that they were heading into cancer, I directly said, I think that your condition has a greater chance of being uh, serious than not and you need to go to a doctor and soon. And that's how I would say it. And hopefully they would get the message. If they would say, if, and many times I was asked, do you think this is cancer? I would say, my hunch is that's the direction this is going. And you can take that for what it's worth, but that's my hunch. Without tests, 
But that's my hunch. You asked, and I'm going to give you my hunch. That's how it feels to me. And I would tell them, I want to err on the side of caution, but that's how it feels to me. And go get it checked. And too many times I have been with people, and, and I literally sat with one woman while she was dying, who, uh, people who were told, you're just going through a negative energy thing. People want to hear something like that. When in fact, it's, it, it was a, a cancer spreading like a wildfire through their body. But they love to hear things like, I'm just going through a, a negative thing, without ever mentioning those words like cancer, cancer and Hodgkin's and whatever else, leukemia, whatever. But um, you, you can't do that. You, you absolutely can't do that, which is why, to me, uh, there's two things that's at, at uh, reasons a person would take a, an online course. One is for self-application. But nobody can take this class and become a practicing medical intuitive. Absolutely nobody. And I'm going to say that out loud. Mm-hmm. Because it is far too complex a science, and it is a science, to think you can listen and then turn around and practice such a sophisticated science, and it is that, in which other people's lives are in your hands, and I'm going to declare that right now. That's not what this is about. That kind of, it took me years to become accurate. Years. Not one class. Not one class. It took years of what I consider to be a, 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 a tight apprenticeship with Norm Sheely for years. And, and a lot of study, not one class. And the impatience of human nature isn't going to change that. This is a class for someone who wants to apply this learning to maintain a healthier self. Yeah. And it's really an introduction, as you said, to the alphabet, to the, to the inner language, which is the starting point. Mm-hmm. Now, a final question, Carolyn, which is, you know, even, you know, the term medical intuition, mm-hmm. I was introduced to it first through you and your work. Right. And I think the work that you and Norm have, have done together has really introduced medical intuition into the culture in the last two decades. And what I'm curious about is what is your vision for medical intuition in the 21st century? Where do you want to see it go? Um, well, I think it's a science. I think it's an absolute, absolute science. I, I think it's a... Um, uh, medical intuition to me is one of the essential new sciences on the horizon because you can't have you know we've we've crossed the rubicon we are now in the solar age the age of energy and and the and the crises facing the planet whether we look politically or the oil crisis or anything is a matter of the fossil world disintegrating and the solar world emerging and this energy medicine is 
the way we're going to be handling and treating human beings in the future. We, we must go in this direction. And so energy medicine and medical intuitives are going to be part of the um, medical teams. And energy anatomy is going to be developed into a, a, a classic course in, in um, medical schools. It has to be. It simply has to be. Very good. The Science of Medical Intuition, an online course with Carolyn Mace and Dr. Norm Sheely, begins on March 16th at SoundsTrue.com. And Carolyn, thank you so much for giving us a little introduction and pointing the way to the alphabet of medical intuition. You are welcome. Thank you, Carolyn. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.